I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. This week, Autumn and I are going to take some time off to catch up on our hate mail. Nothing says I love you than when our listeners say you're a heretic. In all seriousness, we're going to take a few days off uh, from the pod this week. But in our place, one of our colleagues, Dr. Lane Scales, who is a professor of social work at Baylor University, is going to be doing an interview with Reverend John Garland. Reverend Garland is the senior pastor at San Antonio Mennonite Church in San Antonio, Texas. He is going to reflect upon a theology of hospitality and describes the church's work in San Antonio as providing shelter, advocacy, and other services for standard asylum seekers in its hospitality house. It's a great interview, so stay tuned for Dr. Scales' interview with Reverend John Garland. And we'll be back next week to talk about more of what's going on in the world. Until then, keep living good faith. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of a new podcast, The Raceless Gospel, from Good Faith Media. We're going to talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Season one of The Raceless Gospel has five episodes, five Sundays, if you will. We're going to take you to church each episode. We're going to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship through the structure of a church service. And each episode, we're joined by a special guest who will bring a word. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, five episodes, all available March 22nd. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we march into and beyond race, religion, and politics. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. It's my pleasure to introduce Reverend John Garland. He is pastor of the San Antonio Mennonite Church, where he leads an amazing and faithful congregation. And they're working with asylum seekers who come to their city. They provide basic needs like shelter and food, but they also help these asylum seekers to heal and to make plans uh, about what might be next for them. So thank you for making time for us today, John. It's great to be with you again. Um, It's my my wonderful honor to be with you. Thank you. Yes. John and I go way back uh, to before he can even remember because he was just a toddler uh, when we were all living in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was a student at uh, the Southern Baptist Seminary there and his parents, uh, David and Diana Garland, were my teachers. And later in the late 90s, we all ended up in Waco at Baylor University. And, and John, I, I watched you from afar as a teenager and a college student. You were uh, working hard at social justice, even at that young age. And I know- What do you think about my youthful rebellion uh, growing up Baptist and now I'm an Anabaptist? I know, it's just, yeah, yeah, shocking, shocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you would volunteer um, out at the Hunger Farm, which was miles outside our city. And what I remember is that you would ride your bicycle out there, even though it was quite a long journey. Uh, you did not want to add your emissions to our uh, to our atmosphere, and you had this little milk carton that you 
kept on the back of your bicycle. And in that milk carton were all of your religion books because you were uh, studying and trying to work out theologically uh, how all this works. So it's it feels like full circle to come and see you enacting uh, all of what you read and what you did even as a young person. Yeah, what a gift that was. What a community that really had such a shaping uh, and influence uh, on me. I, I was surrounded by Anabaptists actually coming back from uh, doing work around the globe, working on the farm there, learning together and, and folks from Africa and Haiti, mainly, mainly Western Africa and Haiti and Central America, uh, all gathering together in this wonderful community, uh, Christian community. It was really, really a, a, a important time for me. Yeah. Great. Well, can you uh, today tell us a little bit about the congregation that uh, you lead in San Antonio and uh, and their ministry? Well, we're a little little church right downtown San Antonio and San Antonio is on the on the crossroads of I-10 and I-35 and I-37. So we and we're right in the middle of that, not far from the bus station. So we um, as as a little Anabaptist community um, in the in the middle of the city, have been involved in a number of things over the last decades. But this this last five years, we've really been shaped by the immigration crisis, the immigration debacle, really that's um, we've we've seen um, uh, happening at our southern border. Um, the entire world um, has been fleeing. Uh, toward us. Um, and mm -hmm. so many are getting trapped in San Antonio at this crossroads. Um, and I say debacle because it really is that there's so many um, humanitarian catastrophes happening in Central America and Central Africa, and now the Horn of Africa, um, and, and in Haiti, um, and th then a lot of things going on also in South America. Um, and so uh, over the last five years, that is, that's had a, had a a significant influence on our community, um, primarily because of our stance uh, toward hospitality and, and yeah. running a hospitality house and then having a, a building so close to uh, the bus station where, where so many folks get stranded um, and then relationships with, with folks in the city uh, and so many people speak multiple languages in our, in our congregation, um, enabling us to offer hospitality. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. Well, can you tell us just on a practical level, what, what is it that your church does and provides? Well, things always are changing. It's a different, it's a different thing every week, pretty much because of the way the immigration um, crisis has shifted. Um, and, um, but, but our, our uh, primary response is through a hospitality house. Um, a number of years ago, uh, this house came up for sale around the corner from our church, and uh, folks asked us if we wanted to buy it. They wanted us to, to really try, and we didn't have enough money to do it, um, and the night before the deal went out, um, we were given this outrageous uh, number of donations, and we, we got this house. We named it La Casa de Maria Marta, the, the Mary and Martha house, um, and uh, right after that, um, our fancy financial plan to uh, to keep this up and pay the mortgage uh, fell through. Um, mm. So we reached out to another organization to help us pay, and then that fell through. Um, and then uh, the next week, uh, we found um, 
uh, hundreds of asylum seekers trapped in our bus station over the course of that time. And we realized, ah, for such a time as this, we have this house. Um, and and so over, you know, since in, in that time period, we've never uh, lacked uh, for the mortgage of that house. We've never lacked for provision. Um, and it's it's been full, um, you know, almost uh, all of that time. People, either people passing through or people being stranded uh, for a significant amount of amounts of time, um, people waiting to be reunited with their children or with their parents, uh, people with you know going into labor uh, in that house, in La Casa de Maria Marta, and it's you know it's a it's a bed it's a house with eight bedrooms, um, but over these last years, people who passed through there have settled here in our church and become leaders in our church, um, and. Um, are now you know renting homes in the neighborhood or living on a little uh, ranchito south of town together, forming community uh, together. So now we have voices um, in our church from uh, the highlands of of Honduras and the the um, the border of the Congo and uh, Angola and uh, accents now from from Ethiopia um, and El Salvador and Guatemala. Yeah, what a wonderful picture of community, the diversity, but you're you're unified around this um, Christian purpose. So um, you have written uh, about this ministry, and uh, one of the articles I enjoyed reading was in Christianity Today, uh, fleeing north in the full armor of God, and you told uh, a story about uh, a family. If I can, I would like to just read a passage from that because I think it it's asking us to think about some important theological questions. You wrote, there are times we, when we can hardly pray or know what to pray. Our throats close up. And Paul described this to the Romans and how the spirit will groan with us. Sometimes God uses the scriptures and our families of faith to speak truth for us and give our voices back. So do you have a story? I know there are many, but uh, one or two stories about people being enfolded in your congregation and and how people are finding their voices again. Yeah, that particular passage comes from reflecting on um, on a mother who'd been uh, separated from her family, and we were able to go to the detention center, um, the, this in privately run, you know, immigration prison, uh, to see her father, um, and uh, and he was deported the next day. And there's sort of this powerlessness of looking through the glass um, and being unable to do anything um, except except pray with one another um, and knowing that he was going back to just the horrors. We experience that a lot. Um, these days, um, uh, we get a lot of calls from detention centers, desperate. Um, somehow our church's phone number uh, was given to, to one, one woman in a detention center um, uh, a year or two ago, and she called and she passed our number to someone else and she passed mm -hmm. it to someone else and to some, so we get all these calls from the detention centers and about, about 90% of the time, there's nothing we can do. Uh, these, uh, there's nothing, um, 
uh, no power that we have to, to help liberate. Now, there have been some phenomenal stories of liberation. Um, in fact, uh, just yesterday, this young woman who had escaped slavery and crossed the ocean and uh, been imprisoned in Mexico and then lived on the streets in Mexico and then finally made it across and then was imprisoned here. Um, miraculously, yesterday, she was released on a bond and uh, through, through our support. But those calls come in uh, and they're on crackly prison lines. And you hear the voice of, of a woman who's completely and utterly alone. We get the calls from people that she has no family. She, she has um, no hope really left. Um, and this court date is coming where she'll stand before a judge um, and the judge will send her back to the place that she's given up everything uh, to flee. Um, and 80% of them are evangelical Christians. Um, because that is sort of the population that is suffering in the world and, and fleeing. And they just want to pray. Mm -hmm. They want to be prayed for. Um, and if anything, is there anything, brother, that you can do um, uh, to help? Please, please, please. And that is the, that is the, the prayer uh, we hear so often in the Psalms of um, the in the face of horror, in the face of darkness, I'm surrounded by walls, I'm in this trap, I'm in this well, I'm in this pit, um, and I'm crying out to God. Um, and there, there is very little you can do in words. Uh, you can't say, it's okay. Mm. You can't say, I'm going to help you because there is no help to be done, um, except you join together in this, um, in this, uh, this prayer. Um, and it is a lament. Um, and it is also a prayer um, of hope um, in um, a God who sees uh, women who are trapped and, and alone, uh, a God who reaches out with a hand to hold. Now, I often, and we talk about this a lot in our church, when we get these calls, we recognize, like, we're talking to Hagar. Um, she's there in the desert, and uh, her water is run out, and, um, and she can't parent anymore. Mm -hmm. This horrific scene in Genesis 21, she lays her little child down under the bush. I see that image a lot. Um, and so the prayer then is just like, God... <laughs> see through me, God, hear through me, uh, reach out uh, through me um, in that context. But I would say, um, you talked about a specific story. Um, I would say that we're bearing witness to the church. Um, and, and I mean that like the capital C church. Um, we're bearing witness to the, this movement of God um, that, that binds people together in um in unity and with one another and with hope we get calls from the detention centers out of the context of their prayer groups they're they're huddled together in these dormitories praying and then sharing our phone number uh, with their sisters before they're moved to another dormitory um one time i remember this this so vividly so vividly um uh, one of these young women was released and, um, and I was driving down to the border to get her. She'd been just dropped off in the middle of the night at the bus station in Laredo. 
I was driving down. It was, it was late. The road was dark. And I was with her mother. Her mother had not seen this child um, in so many, so many months. And uh, we were so excited. And we got into the bus station. And there was her daughter. And she runs to embrace. And I'm seeing the mother and child embracing. And then mm-hmm. I see behind her, there's about seven or eight young women. 17, 18, 19 years old. And they're also sitting there in the bus station, in the floor, in the middle of the night, surrounded by all the darkness of the world, you can imagine. And they gathered around the mother and child and celebrated with them. And they were saying their goodbyes and they were telling jokes about the prison and they were laughing together. And one of them sidled up next to me, this 18 year old uh, young young woman and said you know why we're laughing so much is because we've 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 wept way too much mm. um and i had this like welling up in my in my heart of like why didn't i not drive a bus down here how how can i leave these other uh, young women abandoned here in the in the um and i i was thinking what what where where where's my bus? Like, where, how could we, how could we liberate more? And, and, and this young woman said, pastor, is there room? Could you please take, take me with you? Um, and one of the other young women heard her say that, and she came and she put her arm around her and she said, you know, that the pastor doesn't have room. She's going to, he's, they're taking this other young woman and you know that he doesn't have room in the car, but we're all going to stay here tonight and we're all going to stay together. And one of us will stay up while the other sleep and we'll keep each other safe. And in that moment, I'm like, Oh wait, I'm in the presence of church. This is what it is. It's like, we're going to take care of one another in the, in the, in a world that's so dark after so much suffering. Um, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to hold each other. Um, and I remember driving up the road that, that night, late, late now, it's early morning, and the mother rejoicing over her daughter and sort of that pit of your stomach feel of leaving so many behind. But also you hear those disciples on the road to Emmaus being like, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us? To see that faith, uh, uh, didn't our hearts burn within us to see that audacity to say, um, we're going we're gonna to hold each other. We're going to protect each other uh, in this world. So finding voice is also, in a lot of ways, it's hearing the voice. Mm-hmm. Of the yes. yes. Um, and it, sometimes it's an 18-year-old talking. Um, and sometimes it's a mama who's just desperate, uh, praying, please, please get me out. I, 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 I need to see my children again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a beautiful and heartbreaking story. And I know um, this kind of ministry has just daily heartbreaks. And these are our brothers and sisters uh, who are experiencing this kind of horror in uh, what you call our immigration debacle. And uh, that is indeed what it is. And yet we have people of faith on both sides or a variety of sides of this immigration question and and how our nation should respond. 
So what would you say about um, the ways that Christians are disagreeing about this? How, how can we think about that? I think it, the disagreements generally are the result of, of not knowing, uh, not seeing, uh, not being, you know, proximate. Um, the women, uh, it's not all women, uh, to, to be clear, it's, it's families who are coming. And when they're stranded in our church, the first thing they want to do is gather around the table in our hospitality house and pray. Or they'll come into our sanctuary and sing. They're singing the same songs. Mm. Uh, they're in other languages, but they're singing the same songs and, and praying the same prayers, just like we pray in our churches, just in different languages. But yes, we are all family. It's very clear. Uh, that we're all family. And we get confused by the news. Uh, we get confused by sort of the tribalism of our country, uh, by who exactly we're talking about. And that's the church's job, just to clarify to the politicians, this is who these policies are about. Um, these are our brothers and sisters. Most of them are evangelical Christians, not all, but 80% but of the ones that we've received are evangelical Christians. Um, but, but all of them are crying out to God um, and crying out to God with us. But I, I always get the same questions. The first one's always, um, is this legal? Is what you're doing legal? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that question is generally easy to answer um, just because you can look at the logistics of asylum law and how you give support. Um, but asking that question, is it legal? Is not, it's a good American question, I think. It's a good um, it's a, it's a good empire question. It's not a kingdom of God question. It's not a Christian question. The Christian question is, what is God's law? How are we, how are we loving our neighbors and how are we loving God together? Um, and I, can we ask that, that question uh, more loudly um, than mm -hmm. some of those legalistic questions? What is God's law? The other question I get is, well, why don't they help themselves or why should we help them? Or there's not enough resources in the world to help all these people or why us um, basically is the question. And again, that's a good American question. It's a good um, empire question. It's not a Christian question at all. Um, the, the disciples asked that of Jesus. He says, well, how many loaves do you have? And they're like, well, not enough. What are you talking about? We don't have enough money to do this. It took all this money. And they do the calculation. They give a great economic argument to Jesus twice in the book of Mark of why they, why they shouldn't help all these people. That's not a Christian question. The question instead is the, is the, is the one that, um, Jesus asked, but like, why don't, why don't you go see what you have and bring it back to me? Uh, that's the Christian question. What's God doing? Um, and how are we participating in that? God is doing miracles upon miracles um, in this, what I would call the mobile church, the pilgrim church that's coming to us. Miracle upon miracle. What is God doing there? And how are we participating in it? Mm -hmm. um, and then the last question is, well, I don't know. I, this is going to change us. This is going to change our society. It's going to change our culture. going to change our economy. going to change our worship. It's going to change et cetera, et cetera, which is also a great American question. It's a great political question. It's a great empire question. Definitely not a Christian question. The Christian question is, how is God changing us? We better mm -hmm. be changing. Um, God is always doing a new thing um, and asking us to uh, die to self and pick up uh, this, this cross. Um, but those questions, there's kind of a legalistic question and there's a resources question and there's a uh, change question. Um, and we just, uh, we just have to be disciplined to respond in a 
uh, and ask really clear, strong, good Christian questions, mm -hmm. uh, faith-centered questions. Yes, I love this distinction you're making between um, the questions we need to be asking as Christians and the questions we might ask uh, otherwise. And, and your final point about change, uh, I would imagine that after going through um, all of these kinds of experiences and meeting these people that your congregation, your members have, uh, have been changed by this. How have you seen your congregation change? Well, we as a congregation, we talk a lot about trauma um, and we talk a lot about secondary trauma. Um, and, and, the, and that's, that's real important to understand and identify, say, you know, this is what trauma looks like. It's, it, this is how it affects folks. This is the trap that they're in. And this is how you can recognize the signs in yourself. Um, and we talk a lot in our church about how Christianity is a trauma transforming faith movement. Um, that what we're doing in church is all about the transformation of trauma. And usually you, you look around a church and you're like, oh, yes, this is what this is all about. You walk into the church and there's a public lynching tool right up in the front of every, it's, it's this tool that was used for massive communal trauma. Let me, let me uh, kill this person in front of everyone and watch him suffer and die. That's the, the center of our church. Yeah. yeah, it's the center of our church. And yet we say that's the symbol of victory. It's the symbol of eternal life. It's a symbol of, of God's power over death. Um, that's trauma transformation. Uh, every, every Sunday we take a loaf of bread and we rip it apart, um, and say it's flesh. And then we pour blood everywhere and we say it's blood. It's horrific. It's a truly horrific, traumatizing ugh, moment. Uh, and yet we're saying, ah, that's, that's actually trauma transformed into unity, communion, oneness with each other and with God. And, and when, when people profess faith, we, take them to the river and hold them under the water in this drowning ritual. Uh, Paul describes it as like going down into death, but pulling up and turning the drowning into, uh, turning the drowning into new life. Uh, that's trauma transformation. All of these symbols of the transformation of trauma. And then the question is, how are we all living out that trauma transformation? Um, and it looks like a lot of things. First off, we pray every day together as a church. And we pray the Psalms um, with this trauma literature, trauma poetry, where we hear the voice of the Messiah. We hear the voice of Christ crying out through the, through the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. Um, you, need, you have to read the Psalms. You have to pray the Psalms if you're working with populations that are suffering, uh, because they are written through and they're written for uh, populations that are, that are suffering. Um, and the, and the other, the other key is that we balance, you never do any service without prayer mm. and you don't ever do any prayer without service. Um, sort of looking at that, that tension, you remember in Luke, um, you have the good Samaritan story given as a response to, uh, how do I get into heaven? Well, you gotta mm. love, you gotta take care of the people who are suffering. And then right after that story, look, Luke places the Mary and Martha story. So Martha's doing all the work. She's serving. She's like taking care of people. And then she's angry because Mary's doing nothing but sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she comes in and she's like, well, you got to tell her to help me out. You see that tension when Jesus says Mary's chosen the one thing. Well, what is it? Are we supposed to serve and 
you know, work, 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 work. There's so much need, so many people broken on the side of the road. Um, or are we just supposed to sit at the feet of Christ? And that's a tension we wrestle with in our church. Um, and Luke does this intentionally, and it's not resolved until Jesus says, well, let me, let me show y'all y'all how to pray. And in Luke 11, Jesus teaches prayer. And they're like, what in the world is this? And then Jesus puts it in the context of hospitality. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it's hospitality and in, 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 in hunger. Someone, he says, well, this is what prayer is. It's the middle of the night. Someone comes to you and they're, they're desperately in need. And you don't have what it takes. Um, and so, so you, you both go to your neighbor in the middle of the night, sort of this image of God, and you're pounding on the door, waking up. You're like, wake up, we need, we don't have what it takes. I have to be hospitable and I can't. Uh, and this is prayer. Um, and, and the idea that now there is a loaf, not just for me and for my guest, but also my, my host, uh, God. There's these three loaves and we're all... Uh, consuming them together, this image of prayer. And that, this, is, this is sort of like a dominant image in our church of like, we don't do this hospitality work alone. Um, and we don't do it out of the context of prayer. And we certainly don't do any prayer or theologizing or thinking about religion without doing the hospitality and mm -hmm. service. That's wonderful. Well, you're really challenging us. It makes me want to move to San Antonio so I can be in your congregation. <laughs> this is we, just, go ahead. We, we have a lot of fun. Uh, we, what we did is um, we, we've transformed our parking lot into sort of a community plaza mm. where community members can come and um, get coffee from a little coffee trailer that we, we fixed up and get this Central American food from another food trailer we fixed up. And the community comes, they get their coffee, they get their food and whatnot, and sit in really nice area, enjoy, you know, community. But, but instead of buying stuff, they're just giving donations to the church, which supports mm -hmm. it, uh, which is a really nice way. Then, So the women, uh, primarily the women who are stranded with us from Central America, from the Congo, they're serving coffee from their region. Um, and people are getting to participate um, in sort of their, in sort of their, their liberation, uh, their uh, next uh, steps, uh, their healing. It's really mm -hmm. it's been very, very enjoyable. Yeah, a wonderful way for them to share from, from their home and, uh, and serve and to raise money for the cause all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Well, John, we always uh, close our interviews with the same question. Um, the Good Faith Media tagline is, there's more to tell. So I would ask you now, what is your more to tell? I, I would want to point to, um, we're part of a trauma transforming movement. This is what we're, we're called to be a part of. The trauma is, is personal. The trauma is cosmic. It's physical. Uh, it's spiritual, um, but we're we're called to be a part of this this trauma transforming movement. And and our brothers and sisters in the Pilgrim Church, the church that's coming to us, they're preaching this good news, um, and they're preaching this good news of 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 faith and the transformation of this trauma with their lives, uh, with their sacrifice, um, and with their love. Uh, and we, as uh, as more of established church, we need to listen carefully. 
Um, we need to listen carefully to the Pilgrim Church. Uh, we need to listen to their prayers and we need to listen to their stories. Um, and we need to listen to the song of God that's wrapped up around them. That's so, such a good challenge for us. I know you've given us a lot of um, meat here that we can continue to chew on. And I appreciate you taking time to, to share with us today. And um, just as I was when you were a teenager, I continue to be inspired uh, by you and your, um, your commitment, your diligence, uh, and your faith. Well, that's a really loving thing to say. Thank you. That makes me feel really good. I uh, received that. I'm surrounded by some pretty phenomenal people, um, as you know, and, and feel, feel, feel greatly, greatly honored. Hey, thank you, John. All right. Blessings to everyone. Discovering Wholeness is a new podcast from Good Faith Media for healing trauma, for unearthing self. Because trauma is so pervasive in our communities, it comes into our spiritual spaces, our churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering yes. how trauma is expressed in religious communities. My experience of, of sitting in the the pain, the shame, and the terror at times with some of the people that I have um, sat with that have experienced that judgment, but to the degree of those kinds of really strong words like abomination and you're going to hell. And it's so heart-wrenching. I'm Kendall Rothis, an author, feminist theologian, ordained minister, and spiritual director. Join me and my colleagues, Kendra Frazier and Jillian Drader, as we gather each week to discuss trauma and spirituality, to stay grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing. Join us and learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.